Good morning. You know, hope you have had a, a good week. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to make your way to Joshua chapter 1. We're continuing our series in Joshua, Journey to Promise. And as we uh, set out on our uh, passage this morning and topic of the morning, there's uh, really one thing that we all have in common here this morning, and that is uh, we all have some sort of fear in our life. Uh, we all have fears that we wrestle with, uh, whether uh, some people clarify them as big fears or little fears. But what we're going to be looking at this morning, just to get our minds ready, is that the Bible reveals that we ha can have a proper fear of something le leading to a beneficial result in our life, and then we can have an improper fear of something leading to a non-beneficial result in our life. But the thing is, all of us, no matter how old or young we are, have fears in our life that we wrestle with every single day, every single moment, and every single period of time. I believe that uh, Scott and Margie probably experienced uh, maybe middle school boys' fear of taking baths this week. Um, so if you want to donate some Febreze so they can aerate their house because you shoved them in the basement, correct? Yeah, probably a good spot except when you open that door and uh, the fumes hit you. Uh, but... We, we all have different fears. Anybody here remember as a child being scared of the dark? Having a fear of the dark? You know, I had a fear of the dark. I had a fear of, of noises that came from the dark, that I didn't know what those noises were. And I, I couldn't remember if I've, I've shared this story before, but since we've had several new faces, I'm going to share it again because it kind of helps capture this idea of fear. And, you know, as a kid, I was scared of the dark. I was scared of noises that came from the dark, like most children are. And uh, every summer I would go to my grand granddad's, which is my parents, my mom's parents, and they lived out on a farm, still live on that farm today. And uh, I would spend the week with them during the summer. And that was a week of adventure. You know, I'd go fishing with my granddad. We would ride his tractor, ride the horse. I'd run through the woods. During the day, I was the courageous little boy, you know, fighting, you know, imaginary villains and climbing trees and going in places that normally I'd be scared to do at nighttime. But at night, you know, it got dark. And my granny, she has three grandfather clocks in her house, all set to different times because she believes that she needs to hear every single one go off to make sure that it sounds because, you know, it's working and, and she bought it to hear the sound. So throughout the day and throughout the night, each clock would go off about, you know, 60 to 90 seconds off of one another, sounding off what time it was during the night. And I told her I didn't like that. Um, and so at nighttime, she would turn them off. She would unplug them or do whatever she needed to do to make them not go off. But also being out in, in the country, and I wasn't with my parents at the time, and Sometimes my brother would come, sometimes he wouldn't. Um, I would pretty much be in a place by myself. And when I was younger, they used to stick me out on their little pull-out bed in the couch. It was just right outside their bedroom. But as I got a little older, uh, they put me in their front bedroom. And that was nice because I had a whole room to myself. The thing was, at nighttime, because I got scared of the dark and scared of noises, they would put nightlights. You know, you may still have nightlights going on in your house, and, and uh, we say it so we can see where we're going when we get up to go to the bathroom, but we really know why. We're scared of the dark. Uh, so she would put nightlights, and they were like, like, I don't know, this is for LED lights, but these were like bright nightlights. I don't know what was going on with them. But I remember the first time I stayed in the front bedroom at their house, uh, it was dark, and she 
and granddad tucked me in and, and they prayed with me and then they went off to get ready for bed and they turned off the light, the nightlight came on. And that was the first time in my life I ever did not want a nightlight um, because I realized in that moment my granny in her front bedroom, that's where she kept all of her dolls. And as I was a little child sleeping or didn't really go to sleep and the nightlight came on as the light went off, all I see are these pale faces and black beady eyes staring at me because for some reason every doll was facing the bed and I don't remember sleeping that much uh, during that week. But um, I, I share that because that stems my fear of dolls at times. That's why Annabelle appears and disappears at times. Um, if you don't know who Annabelle is, then you're fine. Um, but we all have fears. Okay? Whether we want to admit it, we have fears of something. And we may not want to call it a fear. We may call it stress. We may call it worry. I'm just, I'm just anxious about this. I'm just kind of, I've got butterflies in my stomach about this. Sometimes it comes across as, adrenal, as adrenaline. But no matter how young or old we are, we have fears that we, we battle. And they, they bring on mental battles and emotional battles, physical battles. Uh, sometimes they bring on physical reactions. You may have a fear as you drive down the road, whether you're going to one place or another, when you see a cop. Anybody's first reaction when you see a cop just let off the gas pedal? You don't even know how fast you're going. You just let it off. Uh, my wife's fear is, is that I'm somehow speeding. It's, I never do. But anyway, so she'll always remind me, in case I didn't see, there's a cop. Um, just that fear of being pulled over. We have that fear of not really wanting that interaction on that particular moment in time or that particular day. Maybe you're here as a parent. You have a fear for your child or your children and the future that they have. Maybe you fear for your own future. Maybe you have a, a fear, a worry, a stress level when it comes to finances or your job. Maybe you've had to make a decision this last week and you worry about the outcome of that decision. Uh, and what, what's it going to lead to? What sort of things are going to happen? Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? Uh, maybe you have a fear uh, of what's going to happen this week as we approach Thanksgiving. If you're hosting Thanksgiving and you have this worry level and the stress level of all the people that are going to bombard your house and you think about the preparations and the cleaning and the food and I know I'm getting you all just, whoo, yay, you know, Thanksgiving. But we all wrestle with this. And now we know because of of medical science and stuff like that, that fears and worry and stress cause a lot of unnecessary and non-beneficial reactions to our own bodies. Uh, they cause strokes, heart attacks, obesity, insomnia. And so this is a very important thing. And as we come into Joshua this morning, this journey to promise, this morning's focus is a promise over our fears. And so God comes and he speaks to Joshua. And there's so much here in just this opening chapter. That's why we spent, this is our fifth week just in this opening chapter. That God is coming to speak over the fears that Joshua and the Israelites are wrestling with. That, that they don't come out and tell God, hey, I'm, I'm fearful of this or I'm afraid of this. And they don't have to because God already knows. God knows what you're wrestling with. God knows the anxiety you have and the stress you have and the fears you have. Maybe the anger you have, because that can also be attributed to fear. Some of us, our reaction to fear is that when fear happens, we become overwhelmed and then we shut down. We just don't want to deal with that. We go into our little hole and, and we become like a hermit. We want to get in our blanket and we just, uh, just, you know, I just need to be alone. I mean, you ever got that? I just, I just need to be alone for a little bit. Just that overwhelming. Some of us, this is me, 
become defensive. We become overwhelmed, so we get defensive, and we get aggravated easily, and we get angered easily, and so we've got to fix it quickly, otherwise it's going to spiral out of control. Well, God comes to Israel, and we don't necessarily know how they're reacting to the fear, but it's obviously they're scared. What is about to happen? As Joshua is taking over the leadership of Moses, he's going to lead into a land that many of them have yet to step foot in. Unknowing of what's going to happen next, the uncertainty of it all, the, the, the calling to have a faith in God and to trust what God has spoken to them and, and what God has revealed to them, and, but going out into that unknown. So God comes, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 this morning and just to take out what God speaks over the fears, the promise over the fears of Israel and how that relates to us in battling with our own fears. The Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Joshua, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. For you shall call this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that, my, that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In reading these passages, one question that came to mind that really uh, relates to us this morning is, why? Why does God have to come to Joshua? Why does He have to speak these promises over Joshua and to the Israelites in this moment? Why is He so forthcoming in pronouncing His promise upon them, pronouncing His plan and His will and what He's been doing before the Israelites even came to this point as they were on the edge of the Jordan River? Why does He have to repeatedly tell them, be strong and courageous? Be strong and courageous. You find that three times right there in the message that Joshua gives on to the Israelites by the end of chapter 1. See, God knew something about the Israelites. He knew something about Joshua that Scripture doesn't just jump out and tell us, but if we sit there and just ponder on a passage of Scripture and we ask those questions, why is God having to say this in this moment? Why is God having to speak this truth onto His people in this moment? We can understand that God is having to say the words that he says here in the opening of Joshua chapter 1, which is the longest narrative that God gives in the entire book, is because of the fears, the anxieties, the stress that the Israelites and Joshua are, getting, are, are going through in this moment as they get ready to step out in faith and to trust the promise of God and where he wants them to go. Keep in mind, Joshua has never been the leader of this group before. He's been Moses' assistant. The Bible tells us that. He was a Moses' aide, his, his minister, 
He kind of just helped Moses out throughout the time. He was fully aware of Moses' relationship with God. But Joshua did not have the same relationship that Moses had. Joshua didn't get to go into the tent of meeting. Joshua's face wasn't radiant and had to be covered as Moses came after meeting with God. Joshua didn't go up to the top of Mount Sinai to meet with the Lord and receive the commandments and the instructions. Joshua was in the area, but he was never fully engulfed in the relationship with God like Moses was. And yet now Moses, Joshua is having to take over that leadership role. And on top of that, he's having to take a leadership role of a people who have no military training whatsoever. They've been walking around for 40-some years, waiting for the past generation to die off. And yet the commission and the command is you are to go into this land that is inhabited by kings and armies and fortified cities, and you are to take it. And, Josh, and God doesn't come to Joshua and say, this is how you're going to do it. This is plan A and plan B and plan C. And if you do all three steps, you'll have success. No, God just says, you have to follow me. You have to keep to my word, keep to my law, and we're going to succeed in this. And I will make you prosperous. I think if we were Joshua, we would be praying for God to give a little more detail. How's this going to work? What am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? What am I not supposed to do? You know, where should I step? Where should I not step? How do I? But God just comes and says, you know what? Here, we're going. And you're following me. And so what God does is he speaks his promise. And his promise is over, is the promise of power over the doubts and fears. And the promise of power over a lack of faith to Joshua and the Israelites. He speaks his word. He speaks his promise over what they're wrestling with. He speaks his promise over their fears. He speaks his promise over their lack of understanding and their lack of, of being able to have faith in this moment for the great conquest that God has set them aside to do. But if you look there in verses 1 through 9, notice what God does not tell them to do. Nowhere does God tell them to focus on the land. Nowhere does he tell them to focus on what is in the land, but instead their focus is to be on God, the giver of the promise, the giver of the plan. Their focus is not to look at what they could be afraid of, what they could stress out about, or what they could have fear for, but their, their, their focus is to be on the God that is faithful to them, and so then they have faithfulness to God. And so now I'm not looking at what is in front of me. I'm not becoming coming overwhelmed by what I think I have to do or, or how I have to get that done. I'm instead, I'm looking to God and His plan, which is the first battle with our fears, is to have a proper focus. It's not to ignore things going on in our life or ignore the uncertainty or all that. Those things happen in life daily. But the promise to, to Joshua and the Israelites is to turn your focus not on what you can see or what you can perceive or how you think things should be done, but instead turn your focus to the God who is taking you there. The God who has already provided. The God who has already seen what is going to happen. The God who is not taken back or surprised about whatever element we find ourselves in. Turn our focus to Him, the author and perfecter of our faith. Doesn't mean our fears will go away or that situation will go away, but it means that we can now trust in that instead of what we can perceive. 
And so God speaks power and His promise. In the midst of the Israelites and dealing with their doubts and their fears and their lack of faith, notice what God promises to them. He promises His continual presence and His eternal word to guide them. In verse 5, the Bible says, no, God declares that no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will, need, I will not leave you or forsake you. Sometimes our fears overwhelm us simply because of the fear of failure. I'm in that boat. I mean, what if I mess up? What if I do something stupid? What if I say something stupid? And sometimes our fears win the battle simply because we're scared of failure. And this is what God comes and, and speaks over Joshua and Israelites. He says, I will not leave you or forsake you. That word leave there at the end of verse 5, that word leave in the Hebrew could also be, word, be read as the word fail. God comes to the Israelites saying, I will not fail you. I think that may be the promise we just need, most of us need to hear this morning. Is the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, the God who controls all things, knows all things, is eternal, has seen all things come to be, speaks over us as His children, and this is His declaration to us as it was to Joshua and the Israelites. I will not fail you. We serve a God who cannot fail. I think we forget that sometimes. I think our fears become so big in our mind and we blow them such out of proportion that we actually think God failed us. But God's promise is I will not because I cannot. We serve a God, we worship a God who cannot and will not fail us. He cannot fail And so he's committed to Joshua and he's committed to the Israelites in this moment. And he's committed to speaking his promise of his unwillingness to fail them and his unwillingness to forsake them or abandon them in the midst of their walking in faith. God declares to Israel he knows what they're going through. He's aware of their fears. And yet what we don't catch here in Joshua chapter 1, but if you read on through Joshua and you read on through uh, the historical books in the Old Testament, you'll see that the Israelites at times allowed their fears to overwhelm themselves. And this is what fears do. When fears overwhelm us and overwhelm our faith, what happens in that moment is we begin to trust our fears more than our faithful God. And we begin to lift them up that they are more powerful than our God. And so we, in a way, begin to serve those fears and we begin to worship those fears. And that's exactly what Israel did. This is why God, before they even stepped into the promised land, declares to them his promise over their fears not to be afraid, to be strong and courageous because we can be just like Israel as we get in tough situations and tough spots and instead of having faith and trusting in the word of God, we fall victim to our fears. And what improper fears do in our life, they always produce sin. They always produce sin. If we have an improper fear, it will always produce sin. It may be a sinful action, a sinful thought, or a sinful word, but it will always produce fear if our fear is in the wrong spot. If we fear what we can see, perceive, or not understand more than we fear the God who already sees it, already controls it, and has already been there, 
We will always fall victim to sin. The Holman Bible Dictionary says, fear is a natural response to perceived threat to one's security and general welfare. And so when it comes to improper fears, they will always result in sinful results, whereas proper fears will into righteous results. Because here's what our fears, no matter how big or small you think they are, because we like to say, well, mine's not as bad as theirs. Here's, here's where our fears come in to battle our faith. It tests what we're going to be loyal to. It tests what we're going to be loyal to. What we're going to trust in. And we see this every day. If, if you're a parent or you've been around kids, you see this every single day almost with your kids. Or your kids get scared about something. So as a parent, what do you do? I mean, if you're having a bad day, you probably say, suck it up. But <laughs> who's done that before? Yeah. But if you're in that moment of sympathy and compassion as a parent, which we all are, because and your, your child is going through something, they're overwhelmed by their fears, as a parent, we try to speak truth upon them, right? We, we, we try to, to give them encouragement and strength. We try to tell them to be strong and courageous by giving them words to get them through that moment of fear. But our child in that moment, whether it's a bad dream, a storm, the darkness, a scary show or a scary image in their head, whatever it was, our child in that moment, even though we speak truth on that, has to decide that they're going to either trust their parents who love them or they're going to trust the fear that's seeking to overwhelm them. And that's where we are with God. Is when we come to our fears, we serve a heavenly Father who has spoken His word, His promise, and His truth over us. And as we go about life, we're always going to be battling with fears. And that battle is, who am I going to trust in this moment? Who am I going to be loyal to in this moment? Who am I going to be faithful to in this moment? Am I going to be faithful to my fears? Or am I going to be faithful to my God? The Israelites in this moment in chapter 1, they're fearing the immense task ahead of them. The promised land is already inhabited by individuals. They have a fear of people. They have a fear of being alone. They have a fear of what they, ought, what they thought they needed to do. They had a fear of the unknown. And we can just pick that as we read what God speaks over them. And no matter what area of our life, we have these same fears. We have a fear of the task ahead. And some of us see a task ahead and see it's so big and so huge, there's just not enough time in the day. You ever, ever there? So we get, we get so stressed and so worried, that overwhelming fear that we just give into that, and a lot of us just shut down and just throw up our hands and quit. And God, to that fear of the Israelites, as they see this immense task ahead of them, comes and speaks and says, look, I'm already giving it to you because I've already been there. I've already seen how this plays out. For everything that the Israelites thought that they needed to do in order to do the promised land, God says, I've already won the victory. I've already prevailed. The fear of the people. God gave them instructions for the Israelites. You know what? You're going in this land, and yes, there are people there. You're going to drive them out. But for the purpose that when you come into this land, the people of, of this land will look to you. 
and they'll know that you serve the one true God and then they'll come into that relationship with me through your witness and your testimony. The fear of being alone, God says, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. And I promise you, we've all faced these fears in our own life. You might say, well, I don't have a fear of people, Pastor. I'm not scared of people. You know, you may be an extrovert and just being around people is just your thing. But I guarantee you, you do have a fear of people. If everyone had to, had to, had to, which you kind of do anyway, but had to, go out and share your faith with somebody this week. Engage in that conversation. Some of y'all be like, yes, I can do that. Some of y'all, woo, because we have a fear. How are people going to respond? How are they going to react? What are they going to ask? What if I say something? What if it causes a negative reaction? What if it changes my relationship? What if I get fired? We all have a fear of people. We have a fear of what people perceive of us. How people think about us. Some of us are controlled so much by that fear that it overwhelms us. We call ourselves people pleasers. And so we have that fear. What people are thinking. Some of us fear being alone. And you may be the biggest, most extreme introvert in this room. I just love being by myself. I guarantee you, you have a group of people that you trust that you allow into your bubble. That's why we seek relationships. That's why we seek dating. That's why we seek marriage. That's why we seek peer groups. But we all have a fear of being alone. That nobody cares. That nobody actually knows who we are. Some of us fear this idea that of the unknown, this, this idea of the uncertainty and these doubts. We want certainty. We want to know that we're making the right decision. It's going to lead to the right reaction, at least the reaction we want. And so we have a fear. And so we doubt ourselves. We question ourselves. Is this right? Is this wrong? Should I do this or do that? So we all wrestle with the fears that God speaks over the Israelites in this moment. And so what we need to do is we need to take our fears of this world and the fears of what we see, and we need to take the lessons that God's trying to speak into them. He's trying to teach them. Because Satan wants to use your fears against you. He wants to use your fears to pull you away from the presence of God and where God wants you to be into the promise. And so we need to change from an improper fear of what Satan tries to throw at us to a proper fear of what God gives the Israelites in this moment instead of focusing on whatever they see or perceive or try to understand. Focus on what God is telling them to fear in the first place. And the first thing God says to fear is to fear the promise of God. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And as these Israelites are heading out into the promise, heading out into the unknown, the uncertainty, the, the questions, the whys, and wins, and hows, and doubts, and all that stuff, God speaks His promises over their fears so they can be certain that they can trust Him. And when Satan brings fears in our own life, in our own heart, that's what we need. We, instead of fearing the fear, or the uncertainty, the doubts, the questions, the stress, the anxiety, the worry, I take that fear that is building and I change that to a fear of the Word of God. 
That's the promise of God. The word fear in the Bible means to have a reverence. It's to be in awe of that moment. And so I change, okay, God already knows whatever you're wrestling with in this moment. Whatever is worrying you. And so I'm, I'm going to change my focus from that to, God, what does your word say about this? What is the promise of your faithfulness about this situation? What is the promise that you will not fail me in this situation in your word? Because we hold the inerrant, perfect word of God, which is given to us to reveal God's unending faithfulness to us. He gives an instruction and a guidebook for life. This is what God says to the Israelites before they even step out. It says, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God, the place that he will choose... You shall read the law before all Israel in their hearing. This is speaking to Joshua. He's already speaking over their fears in Joshua chapter 1. says, when you finally get to the place that I'm taking you into that promise, when you finally arrive, because I've already seen it, you're going to speak the law over Israel into their hearing, the word of God. You're going to assemble all the people, the men, the women, the little ones, the sojourner with you in their towns that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over. And so God speaks this. Okay, you have fears. You have uncertainty. You have worries. You have stress. Amen. We all do that. And God says, in that, fear the word of God instead. Revere the word of God instead. Because there is power in the word of God. It is by the word of God that we came to an understanding of who God was. God created the heavens and the earth, and he, he knows all things, created all things, spoke all things in being. He speaks of his power and his majesty. We know that the Bible reveals that God is holy. He is set apart. He is different from everything else that we see and experience in life. But we also know because of the word of God, we have been revealed that we are sinners. We are separated from God by our decisions, by our giving into our fears and falling into that temptation to trust something so small and little compared to the glorious God that we serve and are loved by. That's what the Bible tells us about ourselves. And the power of the word of God came to his revelation by his spirit that we now reveal that I can't do anything on my own to get back to this glorious place that God wants me to be. But God, because he loved me so much, sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins. And he rose again that I might be fully forgiven and fully reconciled to this God and have a relationship with him. The Bible revealed that. The Bible revealed to all of us or, or is in this moment that I can now have an eternal relationship with God and I can be given the promise of salvation in heaven with God forever and nothing can separate me from that. Nothing can take me out of God's love for that. Nothing can remove me, not even my fears, my sin, or my stumbling. God loves me that much and so faithful to me that I am set for eternity. That's what the Bible reveals. And so if the Bible reveals that God has the power over sin and death and to save us from our sin and our death, why wouldn't we put our trust in God's word every single day and every single encounter we have? If it has power over death and power over sin, then it's meant to have power over our day-to-day -day living. Yes, we have fears. 
but they can be a good thing. Because when that worry and that stress and that fear rise, we can immediately go to our God and enter into the throne room of grace because we are his children and say, God, give me the wisdom as I go through this battle with my fear. Point me in the right direction. The promise that God gave Israel over their fears was his continual presence. It's the same promise that Jesus gives you and me. Matthew chapter 28, the very end, the very last verse, Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be you to, with you to the very end of the age. We have the exact same promise that God gives to Israel in this moment as they step out in faith and living by his word and going where he wants to go. God gives us the exact same promise that we as his children who have been given the Holy Spirit, the temple of the living God, we're like a mobile worship service, people. You know, we got hot spots everywhere. <laughs> we, we get to go. And we go in the continual presence of God as his children. It's over us. It's guiding us. It's leading us. So whatever fears come, may surprise us, but we know they have not surprised God. And he has promised us, just as he promised Joshua and Israel, I will not fail you in this moment. Maybe that's what we need to turn to in our prayers. God, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do, but I know you will not fail me. He promised success and prosperity to the people of Israel. And speak over the fears, not only given his promise, but his presence. God gives over our fears his divine hand over our life. The divine hand of God means that once you are claimed by God, he knows you in a personal way. I mean, he knows every individual and what they're going through and where they are spiritually, but God knows you different. And every promise that God gives throughout the Old and New Testament in this word is a promise he gives to you. Now, some of them are, let me rephrase it, some of them are covenantal promises given to particular people at particular moments. But the promise that God won't leave us or forsake us, the promise that God knows everything about us, there's not a place we can go from his spirit, not a place we can go from his presence, the promise that God knows every word before they can come out of our mouth, the promise that God knows every thought you've had in this moment, whether they've actually been about God or not, the promise that, that God declares that we are his children, heirs to the kingdom of God, the promise that we are guaranteed salvation, the promise that God has every day of our life written in his book, the promise that God is our shepherd, guiding and leading us. He knows us by name, and we as his sheep know him and know his voice. These promises reveal that God's hand is over our entire life. And so what we may think are coincidences or we may think are interruptions, God has already set that in place. God has already set in place this week people you're going to encounter that you're going to have to get over your fears to share your faith. God has already set up this week things that you're wrestling with in this moment. How they're going to come to fruition. How they're going to work themselves out. 
See, it's kind of like a puzzle. You dump a puzzle out. I mean, if you, if you try to figure out if you didn't, what that puzzle looked like with one piece, you'd be frustrated, stressed, angered. You'd be like, you know, in Jesus' name, get off my table, right? <laughs> but that's us. Our fears hit us, and we got this one piece. We're so stressed and so worried and so frustrated about this one piece, but God sees the whole thing. And as his children, he promises it's all about of his plan. And his plan is good. Sometimes his plan is to take us in that testing so our faith can grow. And then our faith can show. But God speaks over these people. Do not be frightened, verse 9. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There's only one result for improper fear. That's sin. And I don't have time to read all the scriptures, so I'm just going to tell you, you'll have to like Google it or something. But here you go. Here are what the Bible reveals to a proper fear, fear that is focused on God. The Bible says a proper fear that is focused on God leads to worship. A proper fear focused on God leads to freedom from all other fears. A proper fear leads to a deeper understanding and intimacy with God. A proper fear leads to a hatred of sin. A proper fear leads to longer life. A proper fear leads to heavenly treasures. A proper fear leads to joy. A proper fear leads to a peace with God and a peace of God. In the book of Zephaniah, as Israel was getting ready to go back into the promised land, back into God's promise, because they, over, they allowed their fears to overwhelm themselves. And so they began serving and worshiping other gods. But in this moment, God shows his faithfulness that he was not going to fail them, even in their sin. And he comes and declares this to them as they're heading back to the promise. He says, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away all the judgments against you, and he he has cleared away your enemies. That's the same promise for us today if we're found in Jesus Christ. The Lord has taken away all of our judgments against us and he's cleared away all of our enemies. He's been defeated. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. Why? Because sin has no more control over us. We're free from the bondage of sin and the chains of sin according to the scriptures, the promise of the word of God. And God says, on that day it shall be said of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was representation of God's people in the Old Testament, fear not, O Zion, let your hands not grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. His presence, meaning, is with them. A mighty one who will save you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, and he will exalt over you with loud singing. So it's not about what they could do, it's about what God had already done according to his promise and plan, and that's the same thing he's inviting us to through Jesus Christ. So I can say, okay, my fears have no more place in this. And I'm excited about what God is doing with people's fears and how they reveal those. I mean, they don't usually come up and give a testimony. About a month ago, a month and a half, Terry says, you know, I feel like doing this ministry called SOS, just helping people through sorrows in this time of year. She's like, I don't even know what I'm going to do. And she had all these fears coming out of her mouth. And I didn't go, shh. No, I said, well, that's awesome. Let's do it. So she stepped out on faith. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of doubt, a lot of, I don't even know where we're going to be in a week or two. Or people are going to show up. She stepped out on faith. 
They've had awesome groups the last couple of weeks. Terry and Steph Severs, I mean, we said, we need people to help out with Vacation Bible School. They came to me and said, well, I, I've, I've helped with VBS. I've never, like, directed it or anything like that. I said, well, how would you like a buddy? And so I paired them up. And so now they're stepping out of faith, and they're going to direct Vacation Bible School. You know, every year, Jen's like, well, you know, I've got women who want to go to this, this Design for Life conference, but, you know, we always have some hurdles to come through, but yet she's faithful to that, that this is something that God's placed upon her heart to be faithful to. So she steps out on faith. She overcomes that fear to trust God, to lead in that direction, and God always provides the women, right? Yeah. Melody Long, about a year and a half ago, put it out there that, you know, we need someone to look over the children's ministry and children's church and nursery and things like that. And, and she came up and said, well, I don't exactly know everything I should do or what it all entails, but you know, I'd be more than willing to feel like God's leading that direction. She stepped out in fears. Sometimes we have a fear when it comes to things, you know, well, if I don't do this, who's going to pick up the slack? Charlie and Melissa Buchanan, about that same time, a little before. But like God was leading them out of the, the leadership of the children's ministry and leading them into a new avenue of, of doing missions and maybe helping the church out in other ways. But there was that fear. Well, if we don't do it, who's going to do it? But they stepped out of that fear and God continued to provide. He showed his faithfulness. You may have a fear this morning. Well, I, I just need to be in Bible study by our small group. I don't, I just don't, I don't know. Do I have, you know, what are they going to make me do? You may have a fear of sharing your faith with someone. Our students stepped out of the fear this week that they were going to come to a church event all weekend long. I know some of them were in and out with different activities, but they were going to come to a church event and allow God to speak to their hearts. They were going to endure it all, even if their friends knew about it. And some of them are wrestling with the fear right now as they step into back into school on Monday morning the challenge that God has laid upon their heart, are they going to trust the word of God and be faithful to God? Or are they going to fall back into their fears and do what they've always done? Some of us every week are, are tested by our fears. Am I going to be faithful to giving to God and tithing to God because, man, I'm just, we're in a really tight spot right now. But I'm, am I going to trust that God will not forsake me? He will not abandon me. He will not fail me when I allow my fear of his word to overcome my fear of what I think I can figure out. And every week, some of us faithfully tithe, faithfully give above and beyond the tithe. Some of us overcome our fear simply by coming to church. The question this morning is, what fear is Satan using on you today that is crippling you from being in the promise of God? What fear is Satan trying to... He's, he's trying to hold you back. And he's using your fears to do it. So we're coming to this moment where I can say, okay, God... I'm not denying that fear's not real. I'm not denying I don't know how this is going to work out. I'm not denying that I, I can't see how you're doing it. But God, I'm going to trust you over my fears. I'm going to trust your promise. I'm going to trust your presence. I'm going to trust that your hand is upon my life.
going to trust you. Perhaps you're here this morning and a fear you may or may not have is the fear of your relationship with God. Maybe you don't know, am I saved? I mean, I go to church and I, I do stuff. But do you know you're saved? Do you know if this was the last day you breathed on this planet that you would see God in all His glory and He would welcome you home? Do you know that you're a child of His? Do you know that His hand is on you, that His promises are for you? The Bible says that God has created us all for a relationship with Him. Because of our sin, which leads to brokenness, it leads to uncertainty and worry and stress. Because of that, we're separated from God. And we can go to church our entire life and still lose heaven. It's not about what you can do. It's about what He has done. And that's what God spoke to Israel here in Joshua. It's not about what they thought they needed to do. It's what He has already done. And that's for your salvation. It's not about being a good person. That'll happen. It's not about praying more, reading the Bible more, going to church more, though that'll probably happen. It's about, is my salvation in Jesus Christ alone? Have I placed my faith that God loved me so much that He sent Jesus to die for my sins? And He did. They placed Him in tomb and He rose again three days later that I might be completely forgiven. Have I trusted in that? That when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth of life and no one comes to the Father except through me, I'm trusting in Jesus because of that. Not all religions lead to God. Don't let the world lie to you about that. It's only through Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, then God is speaking His promise and truth over your fears in this moment. You don't have to be afraid of hell because He's inviting you into a relationship. I'm going to ask Jackson to come up and lead us. And if you're here this morning and, and that's where you are, you need to accept Jesus Christ, I'm going to be down here. You just come down and say, Hey, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. Maybe you're here and you know that Satan is trying to keep you and hold you back from God's promises through fears. Maybe you need to come and kneel before the Father. Admit Him. He already knows them. But claim His truth over those things. Let's pray as we, as we come to this time of invitation. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for loving us. Thank you for, for winning the battle against sin, winning the battle against our fears. And Lord, forgive us those times that we allow our fears to appear more powerful than You. You are the God who saves who knows all things, who's all-powerful, all-present. You are the beginning, the end, the Alpha and Omega. You know every detail of our life. Nothing is hidden from you. You know what we're struggling with in this moment. You know what we're going to struggle with tomorrow, next week, and next year. Father, you tell us not to worry about those things, but to seek you first in your kingdom. So it's become this time of response, Lord. You know what we're wrestling with, the fears we have, the stress and the worries. Lord, help us come this moment just to lay those down at your feet and say, Lord, we trust you. Father, we know as your people, you will not fail us because you cannot. Father, I pray in this moment as your child that your spirit would continue to speak to the individuals here that do not know you as their Lord and Savior. 
They know they're lost. They know they're still in their sin. They know they're heading for hell. But they also know you're calling them out of that darkness in this moment into your marvelous light. Lord, give them the courage over their fears to let it be known that they want to be saved. So we come this time in response. Let it be your kingdom and your will that is done in this place and this place alone. And we pray this over our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in his holy, holy name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing. I invite you to come.